You're listening to Making a Living Show. I'm Roby Levy. Hi, I'm Diana Lansley. I'm an actor, a voice actor, and I make special events stationary for a living. You might know Diana Lansley from her roles on Young and the Restless and Days of Our Lives, or maybe you recognize her from her commercial, voiceover, or design work. She's a true Renaissance woman, and through the philosophy of Hugo, she's also one of the most positive, open, and generous people I've had the good fortune of speaking with. Here's my chat with Diana Lansley. Who are you, and what do you make for a living? Hi, I'm Diana Lansley. I'm a voice artist, an actor, and also an artist on some level because I create custom stationery as well. And please don't forget the most important thing you do, hand modeling. Oh, <laughs> I'm not even waiting. Well, I do give, I do give people a hand. You're right about that. I've been a hand model for many, many years, and it's interesting how that came about because um, we can roll back to the beginning of my career when I was first on camera. I was a child, and I did a show called Romper Room. Oh yeah, and I was I was Love probably around four years old, <laughs> and um, my mom had taken me to be on this television show that we got prizes for, and like oh, well, not prizes, but games to play. And I just thought television is so fun. And then, you know, life changed a little bit. My mom passed away. And many, many years later, when I wanted to jump into the industry, I went, um, I went the route of, I went through pageants and we can roll back and talk about this later, but just to get to the point of like where this is all so much fun is years later, I jumped into doing television commercials and in the middle of doing a television commercial, somebody asked me to hold product. And out of that, they realized that, oh, you know, this would be really great. I mean, my, I don't know if it's because at the time I was getting hired a lot to be kind of ethnically ambiguous. Um, my father was from Sri Lanka and my mother was from Denmark. So it's kind of an unusual combination. And I got hired for just specifically that, to be able to hold product. And the hand modeling was really not something I would say I pursued, like it wasn't something on my to-do list. But when the work came in, it's like like any other creative. When the work comes in, you feel grateful, you're thankful, it's still fun, you're still working with everyone you want to be working with. So there's really no downside other than a couple of maybe possibly dirty jokes. But that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, there's no lines you, to learn. <laughs> that's perfect. But you know what? It's actually incredibly technical. Like something that people don't think about is that if your hands are below your heart, your, your blood vessels will fill in on your hands. So in order to do some of the work, you're in these uncomfortable, or it depends, but mostly uncomfortable positions to be able to make your hands really and the product look good because at the end of the day, your hands are holding the product. And we all know in any commercial, the product is the star. You're just the assistant to, or you're just <laughs> facilitating. You're really not the star yourself. And I think it's really important to know that. I mean, I think that's important as a performer to feel like you're part of an ensemble as opposed to being the one that stands out. To me, that that's important. So, yeah, that kind of that gives you a little bit of a story on that. And yes, I still do it, and I'm still represented as a hand model and a model. So, I'm I'll do it as long as they, you know, there's a need. As long as I can fill a niche, why not? Absolutely, <laughs> someone's got to hold it. Exactly, right. it might as well be me. Right, that's that's the way I see it. <laughs> Perfect. Well, so let's roll back a little bit then. So, post romper room, mm -hmm. you were doing pageants. Tell me about doing pageants. What was that like? How old were you when you were doing that? Uh, I was 17 when I won my first pageant and it kind of came about in sort of an odd way. I was doing a job just to, you know, most teenagers go out and get a job and I was doing this job and I wasn't very good at it. Amazingly, it was a sales job. And you would think that somebody who then becomes an actor is really good at sales. But at the time I wasn't very good at it. And somebody said, Hey, you know what you should do? You should do pageants. You 
get this experience. You'll be involved in the city. You'll have all these, you know, things going on. And I thought, well, just like my regular attitude, why not? Why not try it? My dad used to tell us that like, don't decide you like something or don't like something until you've at least given it a try. And it's pretty amazing where that took me. Um, I actually got a commendation from our local mayor at once I had a title. I participated in hundreds, over over 100, um, probably closer to 200 ribbon cuttings and watching people start their businesses. And as a teenager, it was really interesting to learn those business skills, to like see what people had done and then to participate, to be there for them. And also, I've always been um, charity-based. So what pageants led me to doing was I was active in charities, uh, working both as a dancer. My, I think my first professional job really was out of that, like out of doing the pageants. Then I went and did um, a, a whole dance review with the choreographer that I'd hired out of my scholarship money. And that became the person who relaunched my career. It was a choreographer named Alan DeWams. And he and his partner, JD, were really the people who, JD Meyer, who really kind of um, had me re-enter the business. It was Alan that, you know, had me touring and I started working as a singer and a dancer. Um, and it was James that pulled me into doing television commercials. So it's it, it's really interesting because you don't know where your path is going to lead. But when you're willing to say yes, I feel like all these doors open. And it came in an amazing time because when I was 17, my dad had been diagnosed with cancer and he was going through all of the treatments. It was really nice to be somewhere, to be able to be focused, to be part of a community, to know I was giving back. And when he passed away, it was the entertainment community that really surrounded me with so much love and so much support. And there are just, I, I don't know how many people, but there are so many people that would be on that to thank list that I could create a show just about that. Like <laughs> <laughs> that, so that I, hopefully that answers your question a little bit, but one thing led to another. And I think if I had one gem of knowledge from doing pageants that I still apply to the business, it would be that things are not that personal. You know, when, you, when you'd go into these interviews and you'd be up against hundreds of contestants, I was fourth runner-up at Miss California USA when I was, you know, a teen. So going into that and having that pressure of close to 100 people competing and then coming out of it, you know, being rated in some way, you start to realize that you have what you have. The day is the day it is. You bring what you can bring to that moment. And then you have to realize that it's really not about you. It's about a collective of people who are looking for a certain thing and that may or may not be your day. And I feel like that still applies to everything I do creatively, and not just the entertainment industry, even when I'm designing as an artist, you know, working with a client. I, I feel like that is so important is to not take that personally. You can personalize what you're giving, but I don't feel like we can personalize what's coming back, if that makes any sense. I think you're right. I think there's a, a real difficult line for a lot of creative folks trying to infuse the project or the endeavor with passion, but at the same time, keeping up a little bit of a barrier so that they are not completely exposed. They're not a, a, a raw nerve in case they get feedback that they simply don't want or that they're not expecting. And all of a sudden they can just, you know, spiral and spin off and, and go into a fit of depression or a fit of anger. And that sort of thing is obviously counterproductive, but a lot of people are prone to it because they simply, they put too much of themselves into it without putting any barrier in there for themselves. 
Well, and I think it's also learning coping mechanisms. So for me, I learned that something physical really helps. Like the whole dance aspect really helps me to center and ground in my body. And that's something else that I still use to this day is the idea that when you bring yourself into the present moment, then it's a lot easier to block out everything else that, you know, anxiety really comes from us looking forward and depression is looking backwards to me personally. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a therapist. I'm not saying I have any sort of clinical advice just in my own terms for myself. So when I catch myself in either of those moods, I remind myself that that's normal to go like to each end, but the real road is in the middle. And what do you do to stay in the middle, right? It's, it's normal to have moments that will push you to such levels of excitement. You may have anxiety in a positive way. Like anxiety sometimes can be just excitement, just not processing in that way. So to me, that's really important is to learn a skill of something that really keeps you grounded. And for so many people, it's different. There is no one answer. There is no one key. Some people are centered in something that is physical. Some people are centered in just being out in nature. Um, Some people look at art. I mean, I think that's why being a creative is so important is because it's our way of taking something that's an internal emotion and being able to externalize it in some way that brings you know, an emotional journey for someone else. To me, that is the essence of storytelling. And to this day, that's why I still do it on many levels. Now, I know you call yourself an actor. I know that's sort of how you build yourself, generally speaking. But you've mentioned dance. You've mentioned singing. Are these part of a larger desire? Did you want to get on the stage at some point? Are these things that you still employ in your acting today? It's funny you ask that. I, um, I really feel like most of my work has been on television, so I have an incredible fondness for television. That being said, I feel like when I started in this industry, you were often asked to choose. Are you this? Are you that? Are you this? And we kind of got into these categories because people would want to separate it. So when I was dancing professionally, I was an actor who danced. I wasn't a dancer who was an actor. And, and that was because when I would go into auditions... I would be up against people who had been dancing consistently since they were four years old. And I had had like a little bit of training as a child, but I didn't have current training. And I really wasn't at that same level, which I understand why you would be put in those categories because someone who's about to cast a project needs to know if you're going to fit their parameters. So um, I I think it's, it's an interesting question because we all put ourselves in, I am what I do. And we do it so that we can say this person does this and this person does that. But when we strip all of our job qualifications away, it's really who are you at the end of the day? And we get into this trap. I think everybody gets into this trap at some point in their lives where because you say, I am this, I am that, I am this, and you it, once you identify with being your job, then if that job isn't there, you feel like you're not yourself. When you can connect more to, and this is just in my terms how I see it, when you can connect more to who you really are and what qualities about you are interesting, then the jobs are, you can enjoy them more because the job is no longer tied to your own like sense of self. So I'm sure that sounds like a little bit out there, but my father was a Buddhist and my mom also, you know, we were embraced to just accept what we have. There's a a Danish, I'm probably going to mispronounce it because I don't speak Danish with people very often but this uh, principle called Hugo, which is to create, some people say it's a sense of coziness, like being able to create a warmth around you. For me, what it means is that you embrace every day and every day you have something to be grateful for. 
And there are just so many examples in life that I can think of that in any moment that we feel like, you know, hey, I have a really tough day today. That's very true. It can be a very, very tough day. And then when you're ready to switch your thinking, you can focus on something else that's really wonderful about that. And I think we do need to do both. I'm not saying we need to like push aside the bad feeling. I just feel like every day, each one of us who are here have something to be grateful for. And that's a really nice way to like reground yourself when you're ready. You know, whatever time period that is varies because, you know, there's different levels of everything. But I, I think that's where my overall like joy for life comes from is both of my parents kind of had us embrace that idea. And my, my sister, you know, she grew up with a handicap her whole life. So I watched, and, and she's still with us. So <laughs> I still watch her like go through how that translates into the world and how that's different than my life. Just from the, the plain fact of like, she was given something differently than I was and, and she's, you know, older than I am. So for me, I was watching that and I'm still watching that. And I, I think it's really important if you don't, even if you don't have a sibling, that you have someone around you that can kind of guide that for you and, and pick your examples, pick your mentors so that you can have that support when you need it. If you're not going to call yourself what you do, which I think makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense, mm-hmm. then that seems to free you up to do almost anything. And it seems like you have a, a wide variety between acting, you do voice acting, you do the hand modeling, you've done dancing, you've done singing, you've done pageants, but you also mm-hmm. do stationary like you yeah, design stationary now how does that fit into everything is that an ongoing business is that an ongoing daily concern or is that something you do occasionally maybe when in between auditions when there aren't a lot of things going on how does that kind of come in and, and and work for you i do still design i work primarily on a per client basis and the way the business came about is in college when i went back to school after my father passed away Uh, I was working for an artist painting watercolors and we did fine art reproductions out of that. And somebody I knew in the entertainment industry came to me and said, I have this wedding client. They want this art reproduced in their invitation. Is that something you could do? And that's kind of how the company was born. And at that, that time in my life, I really felt like I was at one of those crossroads. You know, I was going from school to this other life and making that transition. And I felt like it was an opportunity to be able to explore my creativity further. And also the person I was in business with, an artist named Alice Scott Morris, she taught me so much about the business side of it. So there was this wonderful appeal of like these skills I had mentioned that I learned earlier and an opportunity to do it. And it was something that wouldn't take me away from my main focus of acting. So it was a combination of all those things. I mean, you asked a a question that kind of spans a lot of different answers because it depends on where in the journey you look at it. So I do still work with clients. Most of my work is upon referral because it just makes more sense to be able to translate for somebody who already fits a certain kind of clientele. And I'm, gosh, uh, almost 21 years into doing it. So (laughs) it kind of was took its own journey. And, and I, what I love about it is it gives me something else to be creative with. It allows me to continuously use my business skills. And beyond that, there's just a, a joy that comes with being able to communicate and translate something for someone. So for me, what's really nice about creating custom stationery or custom invitations, um, I actually do everything from start to finish for any special event. But when, when I do that, I have to communicate with something, with someone or a group of people that are envisioning something. And then I have to translate that vision into something visual. 
and make sure it meets sometimes different emotional needs or, for example, when I do um, a wedding, you know, it's, it's a blending of families and it's what does this mean to you and, and what kind of represents you? What uh, color theme? How are you doing this? Is it casual? Is it upscale? There are all these things that go into design, but the bottom line is no matter what goes into it, it's translating something really important for someone, marking a milestone in their life and being the person that can help kind of facilitate that. And that's where it overlaps with everything I've done as an actor is that, you know, the beauty of it is I can set my own schedule and know what I've taken on so I can balance a schedule between how many clients I have in one area and where I'm doing, you know, the other. So it's more of a, like a fill in the gap kind of thing. Like you said, that being said, I get such joy from it that I really do enjoy doing both. Yeah. I hear from actors quite often that the thing that they feel the least in their world of auditioning and uh, of acting is they're taking a lot of orders. They're waiting for a lot of opportunities to happen and they feel that they always need to be prepared. So that's one thing that really occupies a lot of their time. But the flip side is, is they really wish that they could have something that they could have more agency over and more direction uh, that they can impose upon it themselves. And so they wind up, you know, sort of developing these really interesting other endeavors, these other creative outlets that they seem to really pilot. And it seems that stationary is definitely one of those things for you. I mean, I, I'm curious with it. How did you actually get trained? I mean, did you actually just start working with this artist or did you have some training before then? Did you know a little bit about it? I, I did do a little bit of training in college, but I feel like I got a lot of my training just from the artists I knew around me. Like in, in the entertainment industry, there were graphic designers and there were um, set designers and there were these fantastic people that as I was learning art in school, I could go to them and ask them a question. So beyond like the book learning and the technical learning, I actually had people who were creatively working. Um, someone named Wendell Johnson helped me a lot. You know, he was doing all of these designs and creating all these things for set and had so many elements to it. So I used to jokingly say like he was my resident art teacher because I was learning through the watercolorist I was working with. I was learning with Wendell. I was learning at school. So I feel like I just had a really wonderful opportunity with the people that I happen to, you know, know, some through extended family, some through friends, but it was such a wonderful combination because they technically knew, but they also were artistically working. So that was, that was really a great benefit. I want to roll back a little bit. You got into commercials. Mm -hmm. Was that a big break? Were you discovered there in some way, or was there some other thing that came along where that sort of put you on the map, on the right direction, all that kind of stuff? Well, I did do Star Search as a spokesmodel, and that led me to one of my really big commercials. So I was only on one episode, but I lost a really good competition because I lost the person who won $100,000. So I'd like to think I did okay. <laughs> nice job. This is with Ed McMahon? This is Star Search? Yes. Oh, yes, man, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it, 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 was, it was really a surreal experience. And that, again, goes back to the choreographer I had mentioned earlier. He used to put his dance groups on the show. And so I would go and sit in rehearsal. I was a, um, a second assistant to him sometimes, you know, particularly for the charity work, but also in these other situations where things just needed somebody else to help keep track of the details. So I would find myself sitting in the audience and meeting with other people or seeing the rehearsals. I saw some incredible, incredible artists on there. And you might have to check my facts, but I'm pretty sure Leanne Rhymes was on my episode. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so when you think about like, just the caliber. Um, Nita Whitaker was one of the performers and I would see her come and go and go into rehearsals. And so I think just that experience really 
was just something that I, I can't say I've had another experience like that in my life. It was my exposure to taping live, not having a redo, having that kind of thing, which, you know, I revisited later when I was working on a soap and had a recurring on a soap, which I've been on Young and the Restless and Days of Our Lives. And that's a very similar environment. You're, you're very often taping your rehearsal without a lot about blocking and not a lot of direction about where your character's going. It's very live and in the moment. So you had asked if I preferred these mediums. And I think the reason television has resonated so much for me is because that's kind of where I started and got my jump start. And commercials have always been so great because it's it's that area where it's all condensed into just such a wonderful story. It's it's visually set. And then you have only sometimes now 15 seconds or six seconds if you're doing today's world where you're telling that story in such a condensed format and the stakes are pretty high. So I'm not an adrenaline junkie by any means. I certainly prefer to be calm, but I do love something about having the start, the finish, and the being in the moment live. Like that definitely resonates for me. And I don't need a big audience. So I've never had the desire to be like, I have so much respect for Broadway, you know, performers are off Broadway and having these huge audiences. And certainly when I was on tour as a dancer, I've done it. I've been in front of really big audiences. But I think what resonates more for me is is taking a story and being able to tell that story in a, in a more intimate way. And sometimes these other formats just, they don't allow a lot of time for second guessing yourself and you just go with it and you do what's in the moment. So I hope that opened, it, it probably opened a whole another set of questions, but I hope that answered your question. <laughs> well, it is a Q&A kind of format show. So yeah, I've got some more questions <laughs> for you. One of which is, I'm wondering about the kind of stories then that you're finding yourself attracted to telling at this point. What is it to tell a story now in, in today's format uh, between web series and individual videos, smaller commercials and sort of stuff like that? What kind of stories are you attracted to telling? Well, I appreciate you asking that because I'm actually venturing out to now produce and that's something I've really had to think about. So for me personally, I feel like there's we're more cross-format now. To me, if you're telling a story and you're creating something, because I'm developing a couple of things, it it's more so that you can think of them in those different formats. So you can think of them as how would I tell the story in the shorter format of a commercial or a quick bite or you know a little piece of it. And then where do I build on that that it extends that story format? And then where do I build on that, that maybe you would want to watch it even longer. So what I love going back to the television experience is that when you're doing live, you get these beautiful small moments and those small moments can really mean a lot. That being said, you can build upon that because if someone's interested in that character and they want to invite you back, they're going to invite you back because the way you've told the story keeps you connected to the journey. To me, it's all about someone having an origin story and how that origin story had them develop into this, you know, where they are now or where they're about to go. So there, there's, to me, there's very few lines in between each format because I think we have to be creative in, in today's world to be accepting that it's an IP. It's not a, you know, it's, it, it's, and for, I'm sure you have a lot of listeners who already know what that's referring to, but it is just the intellectual property. It can go into so many different story formats that it, to me, it's just, is it an interesting character that people would want to connect to and find out what their story is? So the method in which you tell it, for me, is more pliable. That being said, I'm drawn to characters that really go through a transformation that brings out something positive that people can feel that they have a relationship with. 
I've certainly stayed away from even in my own work. I don't really like to focus on, we all have our, our problems that we're dealing with, but to me, I'd rather focus on, okay, these problems exist, but what are you doing with it? Where are you taking it? How are you using that to make an impact on the world? And that probably sounds very broad, but I could narrow it down in um, probably hmm, six seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect for a YouTube commercial. Right? (laughs) What's the ultimate goal you're trying to achieve? What is pushing you to keep adapting, keep evolving, and keep trying to make new things? I'm pretty driven. I think the reason that I am finally going into producing is because Early on in my career, I was told by so many people, you should be a producer, you should be a producer. And I have a feeling it was because I could see a bigger picture. I could look at a timeline. I could, you know, look at a budget. I could look at all of those things because I was having to do that from the very get-go. Once I was on my own and my father passed away, I really had to learn how to navigate that. My sisters lived overseas since then. So I was really kind of here on my own in the beginning. And I think those are some of the qualities that are a prerequisite for. But at the time that I was being told that, I didn't have that opportunity. I mean, our world has changed so much for the better since I started in the industry. And I think we're just in this spot now where we're embracing all of these things and we're encouraging people. We have a much warmer overall temperature. And I didn't really have that many mentors in that. I mean, when I first, when I was thinking about careers, because my dad was an avionics mechanic, I thought maybe I want to be a pilot, but I didn't know too much about female pilots. I just really didn't see them. He worked in commercial. So it's like there were no commercial jet pilots that I knew of. And so uh, that just became an impossibility. And when people were saying, hey, you should be a producer, at that time when I was first hearing that, I didn't know any women that were at this level. And it's not an excuse in any way, shape, or form. It's just, I felt like I had to make a choice. I felt like I had to say, I'm going to be an actor or I'm going to be a producer. And I love acting so much. It's still my primary focus and what I get the most joy from and feel most in my element. All these years later, a really close friend of mine said, hey, you know, you should be producing. And I said, I hear that all the time. And he said, oh, we're going to do something. So he was really the first person. His name is John Zerplatten. And he was really the first person that gave me an opportunity to go out and venture down that road and say, okay, yes, I do have these things to learn, but here's what I can bring to the table. So the first project we did, um, it, it was it was really just like, oh, I have this relationship with this studio that I really like this owner and this fits what the client needs. And I was able to use that skill set to bring it all together. And now I feel like this is the journey at this moment. I also feel like we are the sum of our parts. So I think what keeps me going in storytelling is that all of these things for me just keep fitting back in like a puzzle and I don't know how that's going to complete. So I feel like it's all really important and it drives me to go forward because at the end of the day, it brings me joy and I love being able to tell other people's stories as well as my own just to express those emotions. So to me, that is life. Being creative is enjoying life. And there, in order to do that, I feel like you do have to take breaks. You do have to cut yourself a break once in a while. You do have to find balance. You, I, I see some people that are so focused on doing their job that they forget to have a life in between. And for me, what you bring to the table as a creative is you have these different experiences and then you can take those different experiences to understand more and translate a little bit better. So I feel like it's always going to be ongoing. I'm a lifelong learner. 
I'm very grateful for all of the opportunities that come my way. And in all of that, I mean, I plan to keep going until I'm somehow told I can't. <laughs> <laughs> but at that point, you'll be the producer anyway. So no, you decide well, whether you or know, not you keep who going. Knows? <laughs> Do you intend on acting in the things that you're producing? Are these projects that are actually vehicles for you or are they potentially vehicles for others? It's interesting. The projects that I started off in producing, it was because I'd been asked to be an actor first and then told that, hey, if I was interested in this other area, I could do that as well. So for me, the appeal is is exactly that, that I am able to balance both. I um, feel like when you create a project, really, to me, and what I've learned in my storytelling so far, is that you really have to be true to what rings for the story. So if the story is something that's right for me to be active as an actor in it, I'm thrilled that I can do both. I also feel like, you know, wearing both hats can have its challenges. And sometimes what you're doing may not fit for what the end market or the client is. So I'm also somebody who's willing to step back and say, you know what, this isn't really working. It And what we really should have is this to make this work in the right way. So I feel like if I had my choice, yes, I'd love to work in things that I'm producing. That being said, I feel like if I have the opportunity to produce something and it's going to be better without me and the story attached, I'm also willing to step back and really see the bigger picture, which I think is probably becoming a recurring theme through our conversation. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm willing to have perspective. (laughs) Well, I I mean, for a lot of people, they don't have perspective. A lot of people think that they are the star of their own movie and they literally need to be in their own movie. And so they make their own movie. One of the things that sort of helps people get past that oftentimes is a trusted confidant, a teammate, someone they're working with. Do you have somebody that you're working with or that you've worked with long-term, or are you basically going project to project working with different people? Well, at this moment, I think it's a combination of both. A lot of the people that I am working on developing things with are people that some of them I've known, you know, close to 30 years. And in that way, yes, they're people I trust. We can have an open conversation. They recognize where I am in my journey and I recognize where they are in their journey. And that is a huge benefit because it means I can come out the gate just being where I am in this moment and being willing to learn, which I think is important in anything we're doing. And then there are people that are newer, you know, friendships for me that, or newer mentors to me because they've now come into my life. Now that I've opened up and said, this is what I want to do. I always feel like the, the universe has this wonderful way of granting what it is we see for ourselves. If we just are able to let go of it in some way and say, okay, this is what I want, but I'm not going to focus on it so much that it becomes impossible. And somehow, through the people that I know, I meet these other people that are just amazing mentors. And and they, I don't even ask them to be my mentors. Like one of the people that's still one of my mentors to this day is Deborah James. And we met back in the pageant circuit, and she helped me with Star Search, and she's got an events company called Bella Vita Events. And she's a trusted confidant. She's guided me not through my stationary company. She's guided me through life because she's just someone that I can have an open conversation with. And to this day, I know I can do that. So I really feel like, like I said, I'm very blessed. The list is long. If I start to think about who inspired me where and who helped me, it's not only an ongoing list that I continue to learn from people around me, but it's also the list of like, sometimes I think we have resources we don't realize we have until we step back from something long enough to say, oh, well, that person might not know, but they know somebody who does know. And that relates back to like lessons I learned in my childhood. My dad used to say when we were growing up, if I'd ask him a question to stump him, 
he'd say, I don't know right now, but I'll find out. And within 24 hours, I don't know how, because we weren't using the internet then, he would find an answer to whatever my question was. And I always thought that was such an interesting thing that he had the power to say, not at this moment, but I'll tell you later. And so in, in that way, yes, I do have people that, that I look to. I have one of my closest friends is an actor named Kim Estes. And I watched him go through, he's, he won an Emmy a couple of years ago. And I watched him go through and help support that journey. And for me, I'm always learning from him. Like we'll read auditions together and be readers for each other. And I think what benefit I'm taking an acting class with an Emmy winner. Like that is pretty (laughs) cool. (laughs) So, and I've had these wonderful moments in my career, which is, I think going to keep happening where I have these moments where I get to stand with and have conversations with people to, who to me are iconic. They may or may not be well-known, but in my world, I appreciate them for what they've accomplished, what they're bringing, how they're, how they're navigating their life. And that's outside of the entertainment industry. I have a broad range of friends. Not everyone is in the entertainment industry so or in the events industry. I feel like it's just like, it's, it's really full. So that's a very loaded question to ask me because the list is very long. (laughs) All right. We're going to start now. Go. This is your your Oscar moment. (laughs) Yeah, I I didn't really get to do that part. You know, in all my prep, I didn't make a list of everyone I should thank. But, you know, those those acceptance speeches are only two minutes long. So should I ever get my turn? I'll have to figure it out before then. (laughs) Let me help you. I will be at the top just under your mom and dad. Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I'll have to run it by whoever thinks they'll take that spot with you. And if you can all share, sure. We're going to fight for it. We're (laughs) going to fight for it. Sounds good. Tell me about uh, some of the things that you're doing for your projects, for yourself over the years in terms of marketing yourself. What sort of things do you do now that you maybe do differently? Um, Are you active online? Is that a way that you're letting people know about what you do? I am. I've been participating, moderating on an app called Clubhouse. And primarily in this last so many months because I, I, um, because it came in and it was an opportunity to be live and in the moment. And I, I do a couple of clubs with my friend, Sharice Glenn, who's cast, who's been a casting director for over 30 years. And so she has these rooms that she puts together for actors to support them going through the process. And she brings in different individuals. And I mostly am in there to, I will give an opinion if, if it's appropriate and I'm, I'm there to facilitate. So I do that. I do moderate there. I'm in the Television Academy as a voting member, so I've been part of that group for many, many years now. And I also am a member of the Creator Society. I'm the VO branch council, and I participate in my union. I've been a SAG-AFTRA actor since I think it was 1990 when I joined. So I participate in that, too, in in voice actor. So I also feel like it is a wonderful community. I have people that I'm always meeting who have similar interests. And then through those journeys, I also get outside interests. So uh, I wouldn't call it marketing per se. I think I just go out and I participate in these things that then you get to know people. And when you're doing it organically, I feel like for me personally, that's what resonates the most. So yes, I have an Instagram. Yes, I'm on Facebook. Yes, I'm on those social media platforms. But I'm much more of a people person where I'd rather get to know somebody a little bit better. So I feel like those just facilitate you learning who it is you want to get to know. 
And then you go from there as how you want to get to know them better. And it's also like, there's only 24 hours in a day. I wish someone could like change that formula, but at the end of the day, we all have to prioritize what we're doing. So I fit in what I can, when I can, when it seems to suit what's working. So sometimes it's posting a picture on Instagram because it's in the moment and it's easy to do. Other times it's participating in these meetings with people, which have all been virtual this last year, but there's still a way that we can reach out and connect. So it, it really, I wouldn't say that I have a marketing plan in that I go, oh, well, on this day, I'm going to do this and on this, but it kind of comes together on its own because when I schedule things that are interesting and I've said, I'm going to participate and I'm going to volunteer and I'm going to assist other people through being more focused on helping someone else, it ends up helping me in that there is a return. First, there's the joy of knowing you help someone, which to me is ultimately more important than pushing a product. And then the other thing is, is like I said, it broadens my base of who I meet. And I think inherently the kind of people that I meet are the kind of people who are helpful to others. So this wonderful side effect is that I've surrounded myself with these wonderful people who are also going on a similar journey. They're also finding how to tell their story through their craft, regardless of what that is. And that can even be an office job that where you're, you know, an executive, that's also incredibly creative. And I think people overlook that sort of creativity and anything anyone's doing, there is an element of creativity in it. Even as simple as like making a meal for someone else to me, that is creating something. There is a beginning, uh, a middle and end, and you're telling a story by doing it. You're showing someone that you care. So my marketing plan is to care about what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) That seems like the best marketing plan I've ever heard. (laughs) What kind of advice might you have for somebody who is just sort of gotten the acting bug, maybe the creative bug in another avenue? What sort of thing would you say to them and give them a little advice? I would say research is your friend. Doing your due diligence of getting to know what it is you want to learn. You know, I, I mentioned earlier in our conversation that my father used to say, don't say you don't like something until you've tried it. And that was specifically towards professions because he was really open to the idea. I'm a first generation American. So both my parents came here looking for a, a different vision and, the, and they really found it. So to me, it's, it's the idea of like, do your due diligence of finding out when you say I want to be and you fill in the blank, find out what that means. What skill set do you need? you know, does this resonate with you? I had a lot of temporary jobs when I was a teenager. I worked at a temp agency taking all kinds of jobs. And I realized that being in an office on these certain hours was not creatively fulfilling for me. For some people it is. And that's great. We need that too. I don't do it. So I think just going to investigate what it is you think you want and finding out those basic details and then educate yourself about the person you're asking for help or you're asking for advice from, like, especially today in today's world, you can look somebody up or you can send them a note or you can go back and you can see like, what have they done or where do they participate? You can also, a lot of the associations that are professional associations have associate memberships. So if you think, oh, I want to go work in this area, you know, there, a lot of those associations even have internships or training programs. So I think it's really, in today's day and age, research is more available than it's ever been. You can go on YouTube and like look at how to fix an appliance. Um, So to me, just taking that step of like preparing yourself for success if that's where you're going to go. And then also accepting that like you may get into it and you may say, gosh, this really isn't for me. 
But that's also really important to know because it's one step closer to saying, here's what I do want to do. So I think go through, prepare, create a schedule for yourself, give yourself a little bit of leeway because life happens when you're making plans. (laughs) And then when you've done that, you know whether or not you want to go a step further or which direction you want to take. It's like a a tree, you know, there's, there's branches everywhere. You just choose which one you want to go to. So create a good foundation, you know, plant in good soil and maybe something beautiful will bloom. Diana, where can people find out a little bit more about you? Oh, I have my website, dianalanslane.com, which is like, I think every actor on the planet has a website with their name in it. And I also have my company is emilyrosepapers.com. And like you said, social media. So my social media handle generally is at Diana Lansling. So thank you for asking. My pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing with us how you make a living. Oh, thank you for having me. It's really been a joy to have this retrospective. And I, my real hope is that it helps somebody on their journey as well. Subscribe to Making a Living Show on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts. For more on the show, visit makingalivingshow.com and follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Making a Living Show is produced by Next Exit Media and hosted by me, Roby Levy. Thanks for listening.